Welcome back to another episode of Posting Up with Keith Smith, that's on your the legend on your right, and Adam Taylor, that's me, brought to you by Heavy on Sports. How's it going today, Keith? Good, man. We, we got some special visitors here. The dogs are uh, roaming around the office at the house here today, and they, they might make an appearance, so we'll see. But yeah, man, it, it's good. I'm, I'm short on sleep. These uh, Celtics on the West Coast is finally done. <laughs> Thank God. It feels like they've been out there for a year, even though it's only been four games. But but I'm ready for the uh, 7 and 7.30 p.m. Eastern tips to be back in my life. Full disclosure, being able to, because I like to download my games, so I have to wait until they're uploaded onto the software that I use. And these Western Coast, these West Conference games, don't get uploaded until like midday my time. So <laughs> I'm looking forward to them coming back to the East Coast, just so when I wake up, they're ready for me to pull and get. I hear through. you. So uh, I hear you, man. Yeah, it's good, <laughs> but I think, I think we're going to start with the Celtics, right? Today? Yeah, I mean, I feel like this week. I know we've gone through the we've gone through the outsiders, we've gone through the kind of as I like to call them pretenders. So now we're on to the legitimate contenders, right? So we'll start with the Celtics. I mean, at the time of doing like us discussing the show and the way it was going to run, I was like, the Celtics struggles, what's going wrong? <laughs> and, and then, like, you know, we're coming into this directly off the back of that win against the Lakers, where we saw the best and the worst of the Celtics, to yes. be fair. And yep. I feel like we could say the exact same thing about the Lakers. We saw the best version of them for stretches, and we saw the worst version of them down the stretch when their legs went. But overall, the Celtics, to me, are probably the odds-on favorite to come out of the East at the moment. I think Milwaukee fans would have something to say there. But the way Boston are playing, when they're playing well, uh, it's really hard to see how teams are going to slow down the offense. Yeah, I, I think the Celtics right now are the most complete team. Uh, their, their defense, depend- it's, it, I find it very odd. Just I'm, I'm going to give a mini rant here. Why is there different versions of defensive rating? Like I get the like cleaning the cleaning last version because that filters out garbage time and all that stuff. But like, why is the NBA.com and the basketball reference ones different? Like, there it's just how many points you allow per hundred possessions. Like, what are we doing here? But it, whatever, that's a whole. I, I can rant about that later. But Boston's floating around being a top ten defense, basically by any measure you use. Uh, the last few games have given that a little bit of a hit. Um, and then they're still the best offense in the league. They're they're no longer on historic pace, but they're they're barely off that. So I think they're the most complete team. And that's why I give them a slight edge over Milwaukee. But anything with the Bucks, who we're going to talk about in a, in a minute here, is the Giannis factor. Like he's just he's Giannis, right? He kind of you know, does what he wants to do. But yeah, I think this helped despite the bad loss against the Warriors, a blowout against the Clippers turning a blowout into a mess followed by an amazing comeback against the Lakers. It was still a four and two road trip. That's a great road trip. They're, they're, they're looking good. They've, they've done what they needed to do. And I, I, I'm not any further down on them than, than I could have been. If they'd lost that Lakers game, I might've been singing a little bit of a different tune this morning, but you know, in the end they're, they're still playing pretty well. Yeah. The thing that I've got for them that I think is going for them at the moment, what has me, not that they're definitely not in a different tier than what Milwaukee are, but I feel like they're like slightly edging them is the fact that they've done all of this without Robert Williams being in the rotation. Mm-hmm. He's coming back. It's not just going to improve their defense. He gives them such a different offensive outlook as well, just in terms of that vertical spacing. You know, we see one of the biggest issues that Boston faced on this West Coast road trip was the Warriors showed that when you can stay in front of Boston's offense and you don't let them get in behind you, you make it really tough for them to penetrate on you. 
they don't really have a second option, right? And then they fall into that stagnation, a bit of pound in the ruck, over-dribbling, or as I like to call it, uh, empty calorie drives. So they're driving to drive without actually having a a game plan of what they want to do if they actually hit the paint touches. With Rub being there, you, you give them that plan B. And that that type of plan B with with such an explosive leap will kind of make sure that there's less stagnation than what there already is. So I think that his return is going to have a huge impact as well. I don't know whether we, it's fair to say that his return is going to be more impactful to Boston than what Middleton's is to Milwaukee because Middleton is just so fantastic on both sides of the ball. Mm-hmm. I think that he just really helps the Milwaukee box offense just kind of flow a little bit better. It gives... Giannis, that little bit more space and obviously him as a as a human battering gram and then being able to kick it out to somebody as elite as Middleton. I, I, they're going to have a similar impact for their teams, but because of where Boston's offense is already and their defense is already trending up, I do feel like Rob kind of just completes them that bit more than what we've already seen. And then I start to question how you can even try and slow down this offense. Yeah, I, I think for the Celtics, we know... Uh, you and I especially covering them the way we do that when they're at their best, when the ball is popping, players are cutting, there's good movement, there's good spacing. They are, they're impossible to guard. It just, you there's nothing you can do. It's those teams, like you said, that can control the ball, slow them down and then get them into, if they, they do quit a little bit sometimes on, if you can defend four or five possessions in a row, well, They do tend to go to, which is not a Celtics-specific thing. A lot of teams do this. They do tend to then go into, all right, hey, I got to get it. Like, I've got this. And I always say this with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. When they go into I got got it mode, it's not a selfish thing because it's not always for them. Sometimes it's, I'm going to drive, I'm going to drive, I'm going to draw four defenders, and I'm going to make an amazing kickout pass, and here we go. And it's like, no, you're not. If you drop four, you're going to turn it over. Like, you know, so then it becomes a challenge for them of it just gets super messy. And that's where I think they're, they're, they they start to, to fall apart. And I, it's, it's weird because in some ways I appreciate that out of Tatum and Brown, that high level of accountability of, hey, I am a superstar. I'm supposed to deliver in these moments. But it goes back to, I always go back to that Marcus Smart comment of, just trust us. Like, we'll get, you're going to get the ball back. You're the best dudes. Like, it's going to find you. When they play the right way, it does. And you saw that. If you, if, if anybody has a chance to watch that Lakers game, my guess is it'll pop up on NBA TV as an instant classic thing here, probably within the next couple of days. But if you have a chance to watch that game, they played amazing for basically 30 minutes ball was moving players were moving I want to say they were up to like 20 assists pretty early on in the third quarter they looked great dominating blowing them out then they got a little they put it on cruise control way too early got super sloppy then they got super tight ball stopped moving they were walking the ball up turned into the iso crap and that's a mess so then you get it back to in the comeback out of necessity we got to play fast. We got to get downhill. We got to do this. We And magically, it all starts to look great again. So it's just play the right way the whole way through. You're not going to have these problems, even against the very best teams. So that's where, you know, it's it's by no means do I have them anywhere ahead of Milwaukee. But I think it is pretty clear they're the two best teams in the league. Um, 
I'm not ready to say the East Finals is the real finals because it's December 14th as we record this. But I do think they are the two best teams in the league, and that's that's starting to show. And, man, I cannot wait for that Christmas Day matchup between these two. Which I can guarantee you everybody's going to read far too much into. Oh, give me 100%. Yeah. <laughs> what happens? Yeah, it could, it could be the greatest game we ever see, and somebody could win on a 90-foot prayer, and it's going to be like, oh, they stink. You know, they, they're, they're frauds, right? They, they can't win, you know, against the very best teams. And it's like, it was one game that was crazy. Like last year on Christmas, right? It was a crazy game. And and the Bucs pulled it up because Wes Matthews, like, all of a sudden became, you know, the greatest 3 and D player the league's ever seen for about a six-minute stretch. But, yeah, people are definitely going to read way too much into whatever the result is of that game. But that doesn't mean I'm going to enjoy it any less. So I want to give a shout out to everyone covering even Milwaukee or Boston because covering a game on Christmas Day is so hard to explain to your family. <laughs> like I remember when I first started like like covering the team and I was like the wife was like, but you usually just watch this game the next day. I'm like, yeah, but I, I need to write about it in like the next two hours. So that kind of next day, that kind of uh caveat i really do feel for everybody especially people writing those buzzer recaps so i'm gonna take my hat off to you on when your belly's full of turkey <laughs> but let's move into at least it. now now in our house our daughter is old enough she's not waking us up at 4 30 in the morning anymore to be like santa like, <laughs> like she, she now will sleep in a little so we at least i'm not covering the game while you know full of good food and having been up for you know 10 hours leading up to it See, I'm 35 and I'm still the one waking up. Shane, <laughs> seriously, wrong with that, man. Christmas time man. Of year. yeah, for, for basketball. Uh, <laughs> moving forward, I do last, last few words on the Celtics. I don't think that they're necessarily a better team than what Milwaukee are, but I think their offense is more predicated to playoff success because of the way it's a, a multi level offense compared to yeah. what we've seen from Milwaukee so far, and obviously that can change. Moving into Milwaukee, obviously Chris Middleton's made his return. His first game back was like, what, six minutes of play? They're really taking their time on his management, minute management. Brooke Lopez has looked. Well, I think in that game, to be fair, I think he twisted an ankle. Did he twist an ankle? Yeah, I think that's why he ended up missing a little bit of time. But but they are, your point stands, they are they're not pushing his minutes let's see he's played in six games and he's averaging under 25 minutes a game so yeah. they're definitely going to take their time with him well getting that and that's my fault for watching the all possessions recap and just seeing <laughs> the fact that he's not there and not asking the question why i think for me though it's definitely and i've been saying this about robert williams return for boston as well returning to basketball activities is not the same as being in full game shape yeah, 100%. And there's nothing you can do on a train, on a basketball court when you're in practice or when you're working with the coaches that is going to get your cardiovascular level to full game shape. You have to play. And that's why you see these minute management come in. And some that some guys will even get, you know, we're keeping you to 18 minutes, then we're keeping you to 22. So we're not going to see the best of Middleton. And that's exactly what's going to happen with Rob. Yeah. Uh, he gets back for Boston. It's going to be, I wouldn't be surprised if it's like 15, 
for a couple games and that nudges up to, to 18. I don't think we're going to see him play back-to-backs. I think there's a good chance we see uh, him and Al split the back-to-backs where uh, Horford plays the front end, Rob plays the back end, and that's where it goes. So just I wanted to throw that in there for anybody wondering about that because he's it's going to be the exact same thing. They're going to treat Rob with kid gloves, I think, for the remainder of the regular season. Uh, just hopeful we, we want him in the playoffs. Like That's where they need to be. And with that said, we're not going to see the best of either of these guys until way past the trade deadline, you know, because once you're healthy, now you need to find rhythm. Rhythm doesn't come until fitness is there. It's the last thing to get back is that touch, right? So I think that... That said, Chris Middleton will probably go 12 for 13 from the field against Boston. And he'll be the one to hit that 90-foot prayer. Yeah, exactly. It'll switch through very calmly. (laughs) Because that's just what he does against the Celtics. Turns into Michael freaking Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> um, Brooke Lopez, though. Brooke Lopez, again, as usual, uh, I think that his defense is just one of the most criminally underrated things we've seen, we see in yep. the Eastern Conference, where you do see people talking about it, but the, the level of attention it gets is like just not fair because he's such an elite defender for them, and he really anchors everything they do on their like interior defense. So I think that him, as usual, will play a big part in how far they go in the postseason. But he's also going to play a big part in how they continue working through this regular season. His health is like probably more important than what Middleton's was to some degree in terms of being still being a high-level defense. Yeah, you look at their defense last season dropped off just a little bit. Um, and a lot of that, I think, was the fact that Lopez barely played in the regular season because of the back injury. This year, he's been back, and they're the number one defense. And and this isn't a smoke and mirrors thing. They are they are the number one defense, and a lot of that is because of him. Rudy Gobert, very fairly so, got a lot of love for the Jazz building an entire system that was involved funneling drivers to Rudy Gobert to take care of it. And that's how they were able to chase guys off the arc and those kind of things. Well, the Bucks do something very, very similar, except when Lopez steps up to guard, then you have the single greatest you know, weak side defender flying in out of nowhere in Giannis that the league has ever seen to clean up if Lopez can't get it. But for my money right now, I think Brooke Lopez is the defensive player of the year. I think he's been that good for the Bucs. And in year 15 for him, he's averaging over 31 minutes per game. And it's not just defense. He's contributing plenty on the offensive end, too. I just looked at it. Yeah, he's at 40% on threes and what's remarkable i think with brooke lopez is he doesn't get enough credit for being a guy who go look at pull up basketball reference pull up his player page this dude never took three pointers ever it was like maybe five six a year which were probably mostly heaves or late clock things then all of a sudden it's like all right i now shoot three pointers and he just knocks them down just one year, it was like, I now shoot him. I shoot 100-plus this one season. And now most of his attempts are are threes. He, he's had a wonderful, wonderful year for the Bucs. And, you know, he's he, he's awesome, man. It's, it's funny how Boston's looking to get Robert Williams back to push the defense up. Bucs are a middle-of-the-pack offensive team, despite all Giannis's, you know, brilliance and all the things he does. They're looking for Middleton to lift their 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 uh, offense up. I have a feeling by the time they play games that matter in the postseason, assuming they play each other, we're going to be looking at two teams that finish the regular season as probably both both top ten offenses and defenses, if not maybe pushing top five on both ends. 
Yeah, I see that as a seven-game final series. If both teams get there, it's a seven-game series. Yeah. I don't see how it wouldn't be now. Uh, and I, the reason I've kind of put Brooke Lopez's name in here, like I said, I do feel like he's criminally underrated defensively. But I like what you said about, you know, use, using the Gobert analogy and funneling guys towards him. I do feel like Milwaukee's wing players, uh, again, obviously you've got Giannis next to him, but they, they, they do a way better job of putting good off-ball defenders around yes. Lopez as well. So, you know, they, they time their digs excellently. They really disrupt the ball as it comes in. And then they have Drew Holiday being their point of attack defender, who's just a pit bull. Uh, he's Marcus Smart without being Marcus Smart, you know? And when you're yeah. trying to funnel, nobody directs guys where you want them to go like Drew Holiday can, right? Because he does, like you said, just like Marcus Smart, he's able to, nope, I want you to go left. So guess what? You're going left. Like, yeah. there's not a lot of choice. And then your point on the digs, Pat Connaughton may be the best doubler in the entire league. Like, he is just so damn smart about when he gets in there. And it's either, like, you'll see it maybe, you know, every couple games, every three games. He gets in there. He gets a lot of those blocks when guys shoot turnarounds. Or he's really good at the players going to the spin, and he gets the strip. So, yeah, you know, just a really, really good player. And this is going to be one – and. When I say this, I mean very, very genuine, not cliche. This is going to be uh, a battle of styles. Yeah. Boston versus Milwaukee. But, uh, Boston are still very much uh, in that Brad Stevens kind of mold of finesse offense. I think they went more robust offense last year under MA. And then and Joe Mazzulas came in and everything they do seems to be quite finessing. You know, we run a lot of screening sets, but everything's ghost screens. It's flare screens. We're going to run some Spain entries, whatever. Whereas reverse pin downs. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got your weak side staggers flowing it and then they're throwing in veer and they're just doing everything's finesse, right? It's technical. It looks pretty. The ball pings. It's picturesque basketball. If you're ever going to get Van Gogh, to draw a basketball like um you know like a a, a, a mosaic of basketball it's going to be the Boston Celtics offense in over like a five game span whereas Milwaukee is very much we're going to ram it down your throat we're going to drive into the teeth we're going to bully you and then we're going to drain freeze on you just to hit your morale where it hurts so it and then obviously we've got the defenses so it's going to be a definite battle of styles i just don't know which way i lean yet because you, it's easy to say if Giannis is playing his best at his best, Boston won't win. It's easy to say if Tatum's playing his best, Milwaukee won't win. So those two teams to me are going to, uh, it's going to be a shattering. It is definitely the Michael Jordan versus Monstars series. <laughs> yeah, they they play in the playoffs. It's a lot of it's going to come down to who's healthier by the time we get there. Like that's going to be a huge, you know, obviously the box not having Chris Middleton last year was huge. The Celtics kind of sort of had Robert Williams, but not really. So, so that's, that's going to, going to matter. Now let's, let's flip. Uh, Cause we are pressed on time today. Let's flip to the Cavs who I added here. Um, I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but I don't want to overlook the Cavs. They have played really, really well. I think they're just a year away from being a true contender. I think this is their, Big, um, make the playoffs, the actual playoffs, not just the play-in, but get into a playoff series, maybe even win a series, and then we'll see. Offense, still a little bit of a work in progress. That was probably always going to take time. But I think what's really exciting about them for me is two things. One is Donovan Mitchell is playing defense again. When he came into the NBA, there was one thing that was said about him on every scouting report was he'll at least defend at an NBA level. 
then I think he came in and was like, oh, I can be pretty good offensively. And we got this Gobert dude that's going to clean up everything. And he just stopped playing defense. Like, it was bad. It was at times you could pull clips where it was like those ones where everybody wanted to shame James Harden for his defense. Donovan Mitchell wasn't doing much better at times uh, when he was finishing up in Utah. The other, so he's defending again. He's getting after it, and and now he's getting after it with a whole bunch of giants behind him that are if if he does gamble for a steal and somebody gets by him, those guys are there to clean it up. The other thing is this team can shoot. They've got to start shooting more threes. They are, if I'm right, yeah, they're ninth in the league in percentage, but they're 22nd in attempts. Um, they're 19th in three point rate. Start getting more more three point shots up. They settle too often for for stuff where they work. It's not there, and then Mitchell or Garland dribbles into a contested mid ranger. They're both good, and they make a lot of those. But start rebalancing your shot profile a little bit. Get up a few more threes because you got a whole bunch of guys that can knock them down and go. And the last thing I'll say on the Cavs. There might be one more trade in there. They've still got a couple contracts that are pretty movable, so I wouldn't wouldn't rule them out on making something else happen. There's still, still a little light on on the bigger wings. That that's that's the one spot where they they do have a little bit of trouble. So so we'll see. But I want to make sure we talked about them because I didn't want to leave them out completely because um, they are really really good. For me, the Cavs are one of those things where you look at what they've done since the LeBron since LeBron left. And how well they've drafted, how smart they've been, you know, get just getting involved in that Brooklyn trade for Harden to bring in Jarrett Allen. Uh, just literally, it's almost picturesque rebuilding. They've been very, they've drafted excellently. I think the Laurie Markin and um, pick up last season, re, re- developing him well sorry re redeveloping his value and then flipping him as part of a package to bring you a, a bona fide star inspired They've, too because it was a not a clear cut fit for how he would fit with Mobley and Allen and they said that oh, we'll, we'll make it work and that was and, that, that was a lot did. of fun. Yeah. And, was, yeah and that was like when teams are willing to be different, right? All right, everybody else is going small. So we're gonna go huge. We'll play three <laughs> seven footers at the same time. And you know and they made it work. So I think that's a lot of fun. And then what they do then is all of a sudden you've just Cobbled together so much talent, young talent. You've got Mobley, you've got Jarrett Allen, who I just think is exceptional. Uh, Darius Garland is ridiculously talented. You throw in Donovan Mitchell. I agree with your assessment. They're a year away, maybe even 18 months. It might be 18 months until we're like, this team is championship ready or championship capable, more likely. But they're going to get there. I think that it's easy to forget, like, hey, this is only Mobley's second season. You know, hey, yeah, last is... thing for me on them. Sorry, Adam. Um, play faster, please. Good lord, you should not be this young with this many dudes who can run and be last in pace. Play, play faster. Like it's it's <laughs> that that's stupid. Like it, it's you know this walking the ball up every possession stuff here. Like get out there and run more, man. Put push pace. You've got a bunch of dudes who can do it. And let's let's let Mobley rip and run a little bit more. Yeah. I, he can. Like he's got that in him. I, I don't like to pull it down, wait, let the point guard circle back all the way around you. And then you're getting it up with, you know, there's only 18 left on the shot clock by the time you're even getting in anything. Just, you know, go. Okay. It's, you got the guys who can do it. You know, you have the best outlet passer in the entire league. Maybe, you know, the history of the modern NBA and Kevin Love. Like, t- take advantage of that. Get out there. Get, you get some athletes. You know, I don't know. That's just, that's one thing that bothers me when I watch them play. It's like, God, these games are such a slog. Like, just go. You know, let's go. They have, like I say, they have all the talent there. I'd like to see them uh, 
I feel like when you talk about Cleveland basketball right now, maybe I've only, I, maybe I'll need to watch more of them. But I feel like you can't put your finger around and be like, "This is what Cleveland basketball looks like." You know, they they don't have a defined identity yet. Uh, some days you'll see them run a bunch of sets. Other days it's more of a freelance offense. And I get that they're doing that based on opponents and player personnel and what have you. But along with adding pace, which I think is a really good point, I'd like to see them start to develop that identity of. When we watch Cleveland, we know they're going to be a high, heavy interior screening team with lots of cross actions or flex actions, or we're going to have them up on the perimeter doing A, B, or C. Uh, I think once you start having a team, your team starts having an identity, there's a, a much bigger chance of success because they can start developing within that identity. Agreed. Well, we're going to move on. We're going to get over to real or not real, which is Keith, Keith thrives in real or not real, just so I'm being fair here. <laughs> right. So, uh, first of all, I think this one was quite a fun one to add in. The NBA has announced new names for their trophies, new designs for their trophies, blah, blah, blah. Keith, is this real or not real in the sense of, is this an improvement or is this not an improvement? I think it's an improvement. I, 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 I like recognizing people, especially I think they did a good job with some of them or recognizing them while they're still here. I mean, I they think that's good. And, and it's, it's fine that it's going to turn into the, you know, I don't know, the Kia Michael Jordan MVP award or whatever it is, because it's always going to have a brand sponsorship on it too. But it's better than just the Kia MVP award. Like, I think that's that's pretty cool. I, you can quibble on, you know, who should, who, what should have been named after. But I think they're doing a good job spreading that recognition around, getting it to the, to the right guys. And, you know, I, I think it's cool. You know, I have no issue with it. Do you think we're going to get a clutch, as in clutch the agency, Clutch, clutch award. I mean, maybe at some point uh, they got to start winning a few more games there in LA if we're if that's going to happen. <laughs> okay, so I just wanted to put that in there because I know there was a lot of uh, rhetoric online about those awards and whether people agreed with them or what what have you. Okay, so a legitimate real or not real is we've seen Zion kind of take a bit of a step forward in his playmaking, his play reads, his his passing ability as a whole. And I know we saw when Van Gundy was in charge of New Orleans, he was really big on like point forward Zion and he kind of ran him exclusively there. And we started to see kind of, I'm not saying the fruits of that labor, but we're starting to see maybe what Van, Van Gundy saw in that, in the, in the training um, training games. So how do you feel about this? Is it real or not real? Yeah, 100% real. I mean, it's because we've seen it. Right. We, we, like you said, we have a, a little bit of a history of seeing that a couple of years ago. And I think we, we collectively kind of forgot like just how good this dude is. Like, cause he was gone all the last year and like he has been unbelievable. Two things on Zion the playmaking, really good. I mean, that, that's awesome. But the other, the, the other part of his offense that's starting to get kind of interesting is adding the occasional mid range pull up. Well, which is a shot you got to be able to get to because you can't always just get through everybody. I mean, 99% of the league you can, but there's those couple of guys. It'd be nice to be able to hit a mid-ranger and just not put yourself into taking that many bumps. And then he's playing defense. He's he's really trying on that end of the floor. He's really giving a good effort. And there's no reason he can't be at a very minimum, a very good weak side help defender because he's got the hops. He's got the athleticism. He's got the instincts. He, he should be able to do that versus being just a, just a watcher. I'm going to be critical of one thing and one thing only with Zion. Hit the boards more. 
I know Valanciunas does most of the board work there, but but in those lineups when he's not out there, get a, get on the glass a little bit more. There, there's more to be done uh, there. And then again, he's another guy rip and run and do those kind of things. But yeah, Zion's awesome. Chicago struggles, real or not? Real. The the roster's not well built. It's it's they 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 they're struggling without Lonzo Ball. They don't have a. Uh, Zach Levine is a creator, but he's more of a creator for himself, um, which is fine. Some guys, that's that's what they are. It's it's not a not not a criticism by any means. He's a score first guy. Uh, Demar Derozan can can do more. He just had to be more of a scorer because of where they've been at points. Missing Lonzo has really hurt hurt them. They they need they just need better organizers on, on offense. It falls too much on Derozan to to basically find them everything uh night tonight vooch is it's it's slipping rapidly now um with him he's he's probably at the point where this next contract whatever he gets you've got to be prepared that you know if he gets a four-year deal years three and four he should be a backup probably um he'd probably be a good high-end backup for a couple years but yeah that 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 should be reflected in whatever his new deal is but yeah they it's just just very very messy you know for for that team they, they there's times when you watch them play and if teams can do a good job, kind of, kind of, um, it's not zone defense, but it's like zoning up against DeMar DeRozan to keep him from getting where he wants to be. It's they, they become almost impossible for them to score because they don't have any of those backside creators. I will say this is what I feel like their backup guards and Kobe White and Goran Dragic just don't fit what they need yeah. either. I know that last episode you were saying like Tyus Jones is the best backup guard. He's somebody they could do with. I know that I looked at um, I can never Facundo Campazzo. I can never pronounce yeah. his name properly. I feel no, like he gotta... could be a good pickup for them as well. Somebody a bit more of an organizer, but obviously he he's not going to be a high level guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kobe White's been a major disappointment. Like he's just hasn't developed the way we hope and now he's just caught in that mix with eight other guards on the roster they're they're really at their best right now without Lonzo when it's Caruso because at least he he's a good connector he's a good ball mover he's can keep things kind of flowing and he's obviously a great defender he's one of the best defensive guards in the league but it's yeah and I, I mean I would assume I like him but I just he was a little in over his head as a starting point guard because he's just that's not not what he is he's he's a guy who should be coming off the bench getting shots up and and yeah and that's you know and Dragic can still do it but it's just and that's that was one of the weirder signings for me this offseason because they already had so many other guards I didn't really understand that one the tightness or yeah I'd say tightness the the competition all the way through the western conference real or not real Real, it's no nobody's going to separate there by by very much. You, you'll you'll have it start to, you know, post holidays going into the trade deadline. We'll start to see some separation into. Uh, here's our you know uh, our real true contenders, and then here's the next group. But I don't think it's going to be anybody pulling away by five, six, seven games or anything like that. It's just super tight, man. Bunch of really. Really, really good teams. I don't know if there's a great team in that mix this season. We'll see if somebody gets there. But, but yeah, it's going to stay that way the rest of the year. We'll probably end up with a Sacramento Kings playoff run. <laughs> I hope, man. I hope. Light the beam, baby. Light the beam. That's uh, that's some like blood moon magic if the Kings make the playoffs. I hope. I All want right, it so for them. We'll go. Yeah. <laughs> me too actually i've got a friend that covers the kings and uh he, he's been very sad at the last few years because he's just like 
They never make the postseason. <laughs> um, right, we'll move on to eye catchers. So the first one is a personal favorite of mine. I'm sure you've seen me tweet about him recently. And if you follow me on any social platform, you've seen me speak about this guy incessantly. Uh, it's a little bit unfair, really, putting so much pressure on him. But I'm sure he's never seen a word I've said. Romeo Langford. So he, you know, very struggles to stay healthy for the most part. Really, really struggled. But the pedigree is there, right? He, you know, former Mr. Indiana basketball. And all of his defense has always looked like it was NBA level. Um, above standard NBA level at times, but the aggressiveness and aggressiveness and offense wasn't always there, right? But now we're seeing seeing him kind of approach things a little bit more aggressively. He's calling his own number slightly more often than what he has done in the past, and he's had a few had a few good games in a row for San Antonio. Do you think this is something that where he can build on this and actually start to fulfill that lottery pick promise and that? Does it mean you're going to be a starter, just a decent rotation guy? Or is this kind of just like, hey, everybody has a good stretch if you give them enough minutes? Yeah, I think it's coming. I, I think he needs to, number one, stay on the floor, right? That's that's the most important thing for Romeo by far, uh, because if he doesn't, it is going to be a problem. But I think, uh, I, I think the other thing is he needs time, right? He needs these minutes. He needs to play. I mean, he lost so much development time in the first few years of his career due to injuries and illness and, and other stuff, keeping him off the court. It really turned into, he was never going to get there with the Celtics. And that's part of why they put him in the trade for Derek white. But with the Spurs, this is a great opportunity. I know they've won three in a row, but that's a bad team. They're willing to play a bunch of, Goofy lineups with, you know, sometimes four wings around one big and that gives Romeo a chance to get the ball in his hands a little bit. And you're seeing some stuff. And and I trust with Pop, he will put young players in the spot too. If they if they can be something, they will be something. So we're going to know when he's done with whatever his Spurs run is, whether it's at the end of this year or whenever, we'll know. Can Romeo play or not? And then, then we'll, we'll, we'll find out for, for certain. If he doesn't figure it out by the end of the Spurs run, it's yeah, that's probably – you know, about it for him him with NBA chances, but there, there's a player in there still. There's a chance. I will say that I've kind of, I remember having this discussion with you when the trade happened that, hey, if he doesn't pop in two years with San Antonio, then he's not going to pop at all. Yeah. Next one we've got on the eye catchers, James Harden. And the reason, obviously, you know, oh, there's a superstar on hey, the eye Who's that? I never heard of that guy before. Yeah. <laughs> the reason I've put him in here, and it's not because he's like dropping 50 on falls. It's because I want to give him some flowers. We've always spoke about James as being a offensive, just like unstoppable force. But what often gets overlooked, and I, I know some people are going to be like, no, we've, we've said this all a lot, but it's his playmaking, right? So he went and dropped 16 assists first to Hornets. That's the second highest assist total in his career, but he's done it like three or four times at this point. And he's averaging over 10 assists a game, or he was the last time I looked. I think it's still around that point. He's... Finding ways to play alongside Embiid without needing to be the ISO scorer. And he's leaning more in towards that playmaking. We saw him start to do that when he was with Brooklyn because he had two other scorers around him. But just the way he's playing at the minute for a team, I even messaged Judy the other day, like, do you know what? I'm trying to, I really struggle to get through games for the Sixers because I just find their style of play just mind numbingly boring. I could, I, but. Harden, 16 assists is 16 assists. Man, that's a lot of dimes. Yeah, I mean, he, he's he's a 
really good playmaker. And I think what's been fun to watch is I think he is starting to embrace the idea of I should be in this setup distributor role a little bit more at this point in my career. I've got Joel Embiid. That's the best big I've ever played with. They may be the best big a lot of people have ever played with because he's that good. Um, I get to set up the big guy. I get to make life easy on him. I got to get him him easy looks. Tobias Harris can score. When Tyrese Maxey gets back, he can score too. And then what that also does for Harden is instead of driving to the paint, getting fouled and taking 20 free throws a night, He's able to conserve some energy, conserve his body a little bit, and that's going to be important for Philly to get to where they want to go. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all in on that one. Just so you know, Woj just dropped a notification about your volleyball, which is the CBA extension date. I just wanted to yeah, put that out there because I, that. I haven't – in case it was yeah. good news and we see super happy Keith for five minutes. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're just right. – it, it was expectable what they were going to do. So, yeah. <laughs> no no super happy Keith today right then no uh, I mean nothing yeah. big it's it's not bad news that's the good news right They're, we're not headed towards any kind of uh, labor disruption so that's that's the important thing that I would I don't know how we'd survive if, if there was a lot yeah there. well this season would be fine no matter what uh, you know but this season would complete it'd be the start of next off season and into next year but they're, they're gonna get this solved before we get there well I won't go too deep into that I've talked about it a million other places uh, uh, Nate Duncan and I did a two episode super deep cap nerd uh, conversation on dunked on if anybody wants to uh, go listen to that where I did a lot of stuff and then I did the CBA conversation on the on a recent uh, uh, spot track podcast too so um, so yeah, let's let's move on with actual basketball. <laughs> okay, cool. So we've got three left, and I know we're pressed for time. So what I want to do is I just want to get your take on all three. So I'm just literally going to fire the name. As soon as you stop talking, I'm going to fire the next name right. at you, Julius Randall. Yeah, I, I mean he's playing better right now, and the Knicks are playing better. They, they, he's the bellwether for them. He plays well. The team tends to play well. He doesn't play well. Team tends to struggle. They just, even with Jalen Brunson, they they are very reliant on Julius Randle to create a lot of stuff for them, uh, and they 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 need him playing well. It, the question is just, can he keep it up? Because the, after two years ago, uh, he really struggled in the playoffs, and then last year he could he couldn't maintain. So that that's that's what we're watching for with him. Jared Vanderbilt. Love this dude. He's one of my favorite players in the league, man. He he is so, so good. You could see in the minimal time he played with Denver, you could see there's something there with this kid. This kid kind of knows what he's doing out there. He could kind of move. Then he popped with Minnesota two seasons ago, played really well for the Wolves last year um, as a starter on that really surprising Wolves team. And then he's kept it up in, in Utah. He's playing uh, you know, a little bit less with, with the Jazz than he did with the Wolves because the Jazz have a bunch of guys in the front court, but he can do some stuff they're starting to let him run a little bit of offense through him a little bit more they they use him kind of in a lot of the same actions that they use a linux as a distributor from the top of the key also super super small volume but shooting 40 percent on threes taking 29 of them he's getting up about one per game if that's real i know this isn't real or not it's eye catcher so it caught my eye so i'm gonna be watching to see if it's real or not i'm gonna add him in a few months, and we're going to talk real or not, if he's still hitting 40% of his threes on, on you know, one attempt per game or so, because that now all of a sudden a pretty good player becomes a really, really interesting player. And he may be the best permanent rebounder in the NBA. Christian Braun. Yeah, I, this one I'm going to keep very quickly. He 
He's just starting to flash. You know, we, we talk about when we're watching games every once in a while, some dude pops off the screen. Um, he just does stuff. He's kind of always in the mix when he gets in there for Denver. Um, he, he's, he's tough. He's got more bounce and athleticism than I thought he had coming into the league. So I'm just kind of keeping an eye on, and there is room for a wing in that Denver rotation for somebody to really kind of emerge, especially a little bit bigger of a wing because Brown and Caldwell Pope are really more twos than they are threes where Brown can maybe give them a little bit at the uh, at the three there. So that there's just a little something there with that kid. He, he knows how to play. He's also starting to figure out, oh, hey, if I move here, Jokic is going to find me. I just need to be hands up and ready to catch the pass. Otherwise, I'm going to catch one on the side of the dome, and it's going to be, you know, bouncing and you know, back the other way for a turnover. So starting to figure it out. There, there There's something there for him. I'm, um, I'm uh, cautious, cautiously optimistic. Adam Taylor. You no, caught me mid-cough. Yeah, my, my boy, yeah, man. Yeah. My, my buddy, uh, my, my buddy from across the pond. Across the pond. I wanted to see whether you'd be like, what you want about? All right, then, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> with that being said, this wraps up another episode of Posting Up with Keith Smith and Adam Taylor from Heavy On Sports. Next week, we will look at the Western Conference contenders, and then we're just going to start opening the net and start talking about whichever teams have caught our eye throughout the week. Thank you for rocking with us and we'll catch you again next week.